Man, so excited to be with you guys. If you've been coming to the Springs, what you may have noticed or may not have noticed is there's a whole lot of props. I'm going to call them visual aids that are up here. Anybody here like magic? Yeah, this is not a magic show. I have no idea how to do that. I wish I did. I feel like it would be engaging. I could use that as a multiple illustrations, but it's not that. I'm pretty much going to try today more visual aids to demonstrate this topic than I think I've ever used in my entire preaching tenure. But man, the only reason is because this topic, it really does matter. That's where if you've been with us, you know that we're working our way. We're right now starting in Philippians chapter 4. And the topic we're going to talk about today, it's a sensitive one. It's a serious one. It is especially how you talk about it, with whom you talk about it. It is a controversial one. The topic we're going to talk about, it's mental health. The topic we're going to talk about is anxiety, depression, and the like. So join with me if you have a faith. We must pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the reality that as we come and we gather, even going into holidays, one of the things many of us know that's true is, man, liquor sales go up every holiday. As we come and we gather, not just for a sense of celebration, but for a sense of coping, comfort. God, would you just lead this entire talk today? Would you help those of us who know you, who love you, to fall more in love with you? Would you help people here who are wrestling with the idea of are you good, are you kind, are you loving? May they come to know you. May we leave here differently than how we came. If you're here and you do have a faith, I'd love for you to just take 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life and that it would be helpful. Man, if y'all would, take another 10 seconds and please, please pray for me. Pray that my words would be God's and I would be useful to the master. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather to remind ourselves of your word and of your truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Well, hey, as we embark down this journey of talking about everything, most specifically anxiety, as we embark down this journey, I just want to start with you guys a little bit of story. Right in my early 20s, I know that looks like that was yesterday, right? Right? That was about 10 years ago. If you're all wondering now, I'm 30, right? I know, still unnervingly young. But about 10 years ago, man, I had this crippling anxiety, this like depression that had marked me. I wouldn't have even been able to use those words. I wouldn't have really been able to even describe that. My friends saw it. My family saw it. This numbness come over me. It's like I was there, but I wasn't really there. It wasn't so bad to where I couldn't necessarily function and get out of bed, right? But it was one of those where it's almost like before I could walk, but all of a sudden I could walk, but it was just with this severe limp, like food lost flavor, life lost joy, sunshine lost warmth, life lost laughter to it. And it really started to impact my life seriously. And the truth is, if you're here, you know what I'm talking about, obviously to varying degrees. I can remember, though, it was towards this time I started having these moments of like severe chest pain. I thought it was coming from my heart. 
right, where I would have these moments of like a stabbing, excruciating pain, it started minor, right? It would just be something simple, like a tightness of the chest. But then over time, it became very exact, very painful, into where it just kept getting worse, and it kept getting worse, and it kept getting worse. I I can remember I was walking down the street with a friend. She was talking about something. I don't remember what it was, but all of a sudden, as she's having this conversation, I have this crippling pain to where the only thing that I could do was get down on the ground and lay in the middle of the street, curled up in a ball, trying to get this pain to go away. I had no idea how to fix it, so like all good millennials, I called my mom, right? My mom loves me. She wants to help me. I called my mom. She picked up the phone. I said, hey, mom, I I was at that point about an hour away from her, went to see a doctor. This doctor, I'm describing everything, and I'm like, hey, I think I'm having like a minor heart attack. I don't quite know what it is. I know I'm supposed to have some tingling in my left arm, I think, because I saw it on a TV show, but I don't have any tingling. We sit there. We do this EKG. She looks at me, all this stuff, and this physician comes back, and I'll never forget, right, because they, they had to turn the lights down for the EKG, and then comes back, and then looks at me, flicks the light up, and she just looks at me and says, it's your anxiety. It's entirely stress-induced. Stop being so stressed out. I remember thinking, that's not helpful, right? And then she shared, hey, what you really need to change is what you eat, and you really need to start exercising. That was it. I can remember leaving this office and being like, what just happened? This anxiety, it was a part of my life, this this depression or whatever, I wouldn't even know the right language to call it. It marked me up until, for me in my life, first point where I started to begin to find freedom in it was when I became a Christian, right? Now, even when you get around me, like my my personality, I'm one who enjoys life, likes to have fun, but my disposition, if you generally run with me for a long time, I tend more towards melancholy than I do just happiness, sunshine, every day is a new day, rejoice in the Lord. Like I have to actively fight for that. If you don't believe me, ask my wife, right? But it's this anxiety that would happen to me. And I didn't want this to happen to me. I didn't want this to impact my life, take away from it. People don't. You want to be marked by like a joy. You want to be marked by like a happiness, like a contentment, this peacefulness to you. But every time, man, I didn't feel joy. I felt a sense of anxiety, The reason I start with that is today we are going to look at biblically. There's this truth that this Bible teacher, missionary, faithful apostle, this man named Paul, he's going to teach us. He's going to teach us something. Anxiety is the thief of joy. Anxiety is the thief of joy. If you've been in Christian circles, you may have heard before comparison is a thief of joy. Right? That's still a true statement. Like when we stop and we self-evaluate compared to everyone else, that, that's broken. Don't do that. You're made new in Christ. But why is comparison a thief of joy? As soon as we start to compare, we feel inadequate. We feel deficient. We feel less than. We feel anxious. We feel nervous. We feel depressed. Anxiety is the thief of joy. And guys, this isn't something just in my life or right here. The statistics are overwhelming for how anxiety, depression, varying degrees have impacted the people in this room. This isn't other people's problems. This is our problem. Do you know that as a nation, like America as a nation, we are more anxious than we ever have been? That it's, it's described a mental health national 
epidemic. And when I say mental health, that is a very broad term. Anxiety can be one part of that. There's a spectrum. So even as I go to give this talk, what's so hard is you can't speak to every single individual thing. You can't do it. So you in your life, I'm not going to be able to speak to that one specific part, but we can categorically. We can faithfully. And that's what we're going to try to do. Why? You know, the National Institute of Mental Health says America, America is objectively the most anxious nation in the world. We're also the wealthiest. Do you know that 18% of American adults suffer from an anxiety disorder. That's not just anxiety, right? An anxiety disorder where you go from anxious, worried, which that can be a normative response to crippled by, defined by. 18%. It's fascinating. Do you know that 25% of students between the ages of 13 to 18, they carry around the same form of psychiatric anxiety, depression, mental health issues. 25% of students, right, that are at the same level as what would have been in the 1950s, but get this, not just of a person, of a a psychiatric care patient. Like, do y'all see that anxiety? It's not just an adult problem. This is a student, teenager, young adult. This is our problem. Do you know that between 1997 and 2004, Americans, right, in that seven-year time frame, doubled the amount that we spent on antidepressant SSRIs, right? And that's 2004. And even as I come and you talk about things like medication or SSRIs or anything like that, here's what tends to happen, especially in church circles. That's why this topic, so you know, I was talking with a pastor about it, And he said, man, if there's one topic that you want to get more emails from people, talk on mental health. You want to upset folks? Talk about mental health. Pastor, it feels like you walk through like a a minefield and you don't know where you step, right? But guys, that's why the local church, by the way, hasn't talked about this. I think that's why America hasn't addressed this and why we have this major opportunity and issue and how the local church has to lead in this area. The reason I started with that is whenever you talk about medication, it's like this taboo subject in Christian circles. It's like people somehow have had someone put this guilt, this shame, this oppression on someone that says, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't feel this way. We will not do that One of the things that's true about health is health is symbiotic, right? Here's what I mean by that. We've known this from our Bible all the way from the Old Testament, New Testament. God has always been amazingly clear that health, it's holistic. Health is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Y'all track that? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your emotions, with all your strength, that's all your, that's all your physical body, with all your mind, that's your mental faculty, and with all your soul, that's your spiritual health, which I do believe is the foundational amongst them all. But do you see how what we have to acknowledge as a truth is, guys, there really can be times, and if you're here, and statistically, like a lot of people in this room are on antidepressants, right, anti-anxiety meds, 
If you're not, you have been, you will be, no one is shaming you. Physical health is real. You can absolutely so rewire your bio-brain chemistry to where there's an imbalance in, for example, levels of serotonin. Thank God in the privilege of modern-day medicine, you can get help. We have to be open and honest about that. But here's what's also going to happen here at the Springs. We will never detach the physical in any category from the emotional, the mental, the spiritual. Every clinician, every psychiatrist, every physician, every counselor, every quality pastor, they're going to say health is holistic. You have to care for all of it. That's why so many times when folks come and they're in crisis, one of the things I'll ask people to do is go get a physical. You want to come and then you start talking about, man, can you tell me about your sleep pattern, right? You want to address the physical, but then what do you do? Can you tell me what your thought patterns are that trigger this anxiety? Like, can you tell me, and this is where it's going to get, it's going to get controversial, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Because if you have the Holy Spirit, that will cripple you. Do you see? We will absolutely address and talk about the physical here. We're not going to shame anyone. As I give this talk today, so many people, you're going to be tempted to say, oh man, he minimized my pain. That saved me. The only reason I'm still alive is medication. Thank God. It's not what I'm talking about. But we are absolutely going to also address physical with the emotional, spiritual, and the mental. Y'all tracking with that? Okay, great Sunday, happy Thanksgiving. The passage is where we keep going. Like every time, like last week and then this week, you just open it up and honestly, guys, it is so exciting to study the Bible. Why? It is absolutely relevant to today. It is absolutely for you. And here's what's amazing. Literally, the principles we're gonna talk about, whether or not you believe in Jesus or you don't, they will bless you. Let me show you that from the passage. Where we'll be is Philippians chapter four. We're gonna look at verses one through nine. We're gonna talk about how anxiety is a thief of joy. The first section we're gonna really focus on, it's gonna be verses four and five, where we're gonna talk about, hey, what are we meant for? Joy. And because we're meant for joy, the next section we're gonna say, well, what do we fight against? Anxiety. To kind of give you guys a reminder of where we are, the apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to this church in Philippi. Last week, he connected them on the reality of it really matters who in this life you follow. Follow the right leader, the leader being Jesus Christ. So that's where we pick it up. If you have a Bible, open it up to chapter four. I'm going to read first one through three, and then I'm going to summarize those, right? And then we're going to jump into really the meat of what we're going to focus on today, which is four through nine. Come on. Verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So verse one, if you didn't listen to last week's message, if you have an interest, go back and listen to it. I really think this verse belongs with last week's message, right? They, they put a chapter break there for chapter four. Those are man-made chapter breaks. God inspires the words. Man applied these chapter breaks centuries after these letters were written. What Paul's saying there is this summary statement to last week. Man, follow the right leader. Follow Jesus Christ. But he's acknowledging there's difficulty in that. And that's where he says, stand firm 
in the gospel. And then he sets up the next part, which if we didn't have to get to an Advent series, I would have made this whole thing like a 14-week sermon series because this part's beautiful too. Let's read two through three. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So before we get to the part we really focus on Paul, he's going to add another section there. There's two women in this local church who have a disagreement. There's two women in this local church that Paul's writing to that are in conflict Right? They've, come, they've had conflict with one another. They weren't able to resolve it. This messenger that comes to tell Paul about it, he delivers this news, and Paul writes them back. It's beautiful, man. It's, he's going to give this whole theme on peacefulness, standing firm in the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to start by almost leading with guys. You won't do that if you tolerate sinful conflict in your life. Christians are called to be peacemakers. You know what Christians are supposed to do when they're offended by someone? Examine, how might I have offended? How might I be negatively interpreting? How might I be allowing insecurity to get the best of me? Examine our own heart, the log in our own eye. But then do you know what we have a biblical responsibility to do? To go and say, hey, I'm not saying you meant to, but I'm saying that this hurt. I think this is sin. I think there's an offense. But what's beautiful is it sounds like these two likely did that, but it didn't go well. So do you just stop? Like what happens if you go to resolve conflict with someone and they just look at you and say, I don't care. If they're a follower of Christ, what are you supposed to do? He, he's teaching this principle that Jesus taught in Matthew 18. We don't have time to go there. He says, widen the circle. Bring in people who love them, who love you. It can help you find peace. Married couples, you want to find peace before we ever talk about anxiety? You fight for conflict. Roommates, you ever want to find peace before we even get to talk about anxiety? You fight to resolve conflict. Students with parents, parents with children. Hey, Thanksgiving, the family members you're going to where you remember the moments in the past where there was major tension. We fight to resolve conflict. What's he saying? We stand firm in the gospel. And that gets us why? Because here's what we're meant for. Jump back in with me. Let's read verses four through five. Four through five. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. As we talk about how anxiety, it's the thief of joy. The first thing you have to understand is Paul, he's saying what we're meant for is joy. I love this. He, he literally says rejoice twice. We all know what rejoice means. Like joy is something that you feel despite circumstances. That's why Paul, he even said rejoice in the Lord always. And even when you can't rejoice in circumstance, what do you rejoice in? God Almighty. And then it's like he knew you and I would have a problem with this, right? No one would ever say that we're not good at having joy and we don't want joy, but we are all deficient in fighting for joy. And then he says again, I will say rejoice. One of the things that Christians rightly should take serious are commands in the Bible. Like think back on growing up. What were the things that people really told you to make sure that you take really, really serious? Don't be greedy. 
Sexual immorality, the church has always said a bunch about that, right? Hey, make sure as you're thinking through life that you come down and you rightly represent truth. That way there's never confusion. Be a truth teller. These are all good things. When was the last time we really talked about how you and I are commanded to be joyful? Do y'all track that joy being a defining characteristic of your life, if you believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're totally off the hook on all this. If you believe in Jesus, though, it's not optional. Does that mean that we don't have bad days? No. But does that mean that we fight for joy? Absolutely. Because what's the fruit of it? He then comes and he says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. I love this path. It's so convicting. Reasonableness, your Bible, it may say gentleness, and what it's talking about there is let your reasonableness be made known. If the root of the heart of a Christian soul is joy, the fruit, what comes from it, is reasonableness, gentleness. Like, let me ask you, are you naturally like an approachable person? Like, do you emotionally totally overreact and then describe, well, that's just the way I am, I'm passionate? Like, are you the one that when your spouse sees something going wrong, all of a sudden they're going to the kids to say, hey, dad's just feeling this way today. Hey, mom's just feeling this way today. Or when you're the kid, hey, mom's just having one of those days. Or dad's just having one of those days. Like, is that how people, when they show up around us as followers of Christ, do people have to walk on eggshells? That's not letting reasonableness be made known. Now, again, because here, if I were you guys, I'd be thinking, are you saying I can't have a bad day? Nope. But I'm saying in the midst of the bad day, you are absolutely responsible to still fight for joy, right? Because anxiety, man, it's this, this crippling, overwhelming thing to where when it comes into your life, and that's where Paul's going, when it comes into our life, man, it, it just burdens us. It's like we have these weights to where we're going through life and we generally, right, we, we feel fine. And then something comes, man, and it's like we pick up this problem, we pick up this weight, we pick up this stress, where once before, I, I didn't have this, but now, okay, I carry this anxiety with me. And guys, here's the deal, like a little bit of this, it's no big deal, right? But what happens when we start to pick up more? Like what happens when we start to pick up more? Where, where you start to think, hey, holidays are coming, and you start to think about finances, hey, Christmas, how many, how many kids do you have? What will that run you? 500, 1,000, 1,500, you gotta buy plane tickets? How are you gonna pay for that? Have you set that aside throughout the year? Is that just gonna show up? Hey, as you start to think about Christmas, man, forget Christmas, what am I gonna do with college? Like, forget college, where's retirement? Forget retirement, I might lose my job next month. Forget that, man, my car, my car's on its last leg, or, or, or move past finances. What if you come and it's your marriage? Like the last time my husband was attentive to me, my wife, cared. We pursued discipleship in the home. What about marriage? Well, what if you're sitting here saying, I just want to be married. Man, I'm single. I'm going to die single. What if I, I just want to have a boyfriend or I've, I'm, I'm 30 and I don't view the holiness of having never been kissed as a blessing. I view it as a curse. And we just carry this anxiety until we have this moment, man. We just can't do it anymore. That moment comes in like a breakdown or it just comes in a moment. And I see this all the time where people just say, I'm, I'm done trying. And they just give up. And in the midst of that, Paul's saying, rejoice. 
But what's beautiful, though, is that he's calling us to rejoice. He's going to give us a way to. He's going to tell us how. So guys, if we're meant to move through life free of burden, how do we do it? That's what he's going to teach us next. So read with me verses 6 through 7 as Paul starts to tackle this specific anxiety which keeps us, which keeps us from the faithfulness. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. I'm just going to be real clear on what, what does Paul mean by don't be anxious about anything, right? Say that to people today and like and mean it in the way Paul did. You don't get invited back to speak, Right? They're not preaching this at national Christian conferences. That's not happening. But how are we supposed to live that way? How do you honestly not invalidate real, crippling anxiety, depression, pain, and yet fight for joy? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm going to finish out 8 through 9 to give us the full context. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, or excuse me, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things that the God of peace will be with you. I love this. There's two promises of peace throughout this passage, and we're going to talk about how. As we remind ourselves, hey, guys, anxiety, it's the thief of joy. It's the thief of how we're meant to rejoice, how we're meant to be reasonable. It's the thief of that. We must then see, okay, how do we fight against anxiety? What Paul's going to do here is he's going to give us three tools, three weapons, right? First one's going to be to pray. Second is think. And the third is practice. Let's look first at pray. This is verses six through seven. Six through seven here. Paul starts out by telling us what not to do. And he says what you and I have no entitlement to. Like, man, if, if this doesn't like mildly offend you, You've either never wrestled with negative thoughts, which, by the way, you're human, you have, right? Or, I'm not communicating it clearly enough, or you're like taking a solid nap, right? Which, if you're napping, keep going. Everyone else, pay attention. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxious here, this is the second time Paul's used this word, right? Before, he used it in a way that's like concerned for the welfare, like deep care. Think the parent who it's 10 o'clock at night, their high school student is out. They're supposed to be back by 10.30, and they're watching the clock. It's one of the first times they've really done that. They love and they care, but they're trusting, and they're fighting to do all that. That was kind of the first one. This one, it speaks to like a brooding, moody anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. I, I read that, and it feels like this impossible command. Like, as part of my role, I stagger throughout the week when I, when I write sermons and things like that. I came home one day, and Taylor, my wife, she looked at me. I was at the kitchen sink, and I was, like, getting real serious with these dishes, trying to clean them off. And she looked at me. She said, hey, you seem kind of tense. You seem a little anxious. Something going on? And I'm, like, sitting there scrubbing. I'm like, yeah, I have to teach on how to not be anxious Sunday. Right? It feels 
like an impossible command. But here's the thing. Paul gives hope. After he says what not to do, and that's be anxious, third thing he's going to say is how. And this is the pray, the think, the practice. Paul starts there in verses 6 through 7 that we read. But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you see that there's four different ways to say pray there? Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and request. Like his antidote to anxiety is literally pray. 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 In the privilege of prayer, if we had more time, I'd teach this. Just the fact we can talk to the creator of the universe and he hears us and he wants to help, which is why Paul says requests. What are requests? Requests are specific things that we ourselves can't fulfill, we can't do. Paul's saying, ask your Father in heaven specifically for the help, specifically for the antidote. And he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Jesus, we are meant to pray. I love too, and remember, this is the day of visual aids. I, I, I love too, even how he says it, let your request be made known to God. In the Greek, it's kind of this strange language where it's, it's literally giving this idea, right, that your anxiety is meant to become prayers. An anxiety that doesn't translate to prayer isn't fulfilling its intention. It's meant to rise to God. It's meant to be made known to God. I, I once saw a pastor describe it this way. Like, pick your anxiety, right? The sin, the sin that you can't stop giving away to. The marriage that you thought was going to be amazing, it's been your letdown. The reality that your kids are going in a direction that you wish you could change. The fact that you're anxious and you know you're sort of not supposed to be anxious, which makes you more anxious, and then you're still anxious because you're anxious, right? The fact that you really hoped Texas A&M was going to beat the University of Georgia yesterday, and we all know that wasn't going to happen, <laughs> right? You pick what, whatever your thing is where you throw these in, and, and it's like what we do with these prayers, right? And, and if you can see this, if you're the side and you can't, it's, it's like we take these anxieties and we just stuff them under, like we do everything we can to keep it under the water, not addressing it out of sight. Oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Really? You sure you seem a little off? No, no, I'm fine. I've got no problem here. Or what are each of those meant to do? They are all literally designed by God to rise. They're literally designed by God not to stay with you. Think about it. Even if you're anxious, then here's what that should mean. Like, if you are the person who self-defines in a belief, and I would encourage you not to do this, to just say, I'm just an anxious person. That can physically be true, but spiritually, I'd be careful making that self-belief statement. Then what that should then mean biblically is if you're an anxious person, you are one of the most prayerful people that walks the face of the earth. Because while there can be environments, there can be in moments where I'm not saying every instance of anxiety is sin. Biblically, what is absolutely true is every moment of anxiety that is not met with, that is not matched with tears streaming down your face as you fight to plead with God, why won't you just take this away or change it? Every moment where you don't match it with prayer, that is sin. We are meant to pray. Pray, pray, pray.
You ever had things in your life, though, where you have pled with God to take them away and they just don't leave? Sometimes he does that to you. Sometimes he wants you to keep praying. Sometimes he's going to show you something. And then sometimes I have no idea why it doesn't change. But pray isn't what we only do. We then also think. Read with me verse 8. I love how God comes to help us, guys. I love how Jesus Christ, he's not just your personal savior and he changes you, but he doesn't leave you to figure out life on your own. So as you pray, what do we do? We think, verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there's anything worthy about praise, think about these things. What I love about this is, is like before Paul was saying, hey, don't be anxious. Stop being anxious. He's telling you what not to do, right? And then he says, what are we supposed to do instead? We're supposed to pray. But when we have these anxious thoughts coming in, it's not just say no. You don't just play defense against anxiety. You go on the offense. You go in a pursuit of mental holiness. What he's literally saying here is, hey, is anxiety assaults your mind, depression, negative thought. Because here's what's true. People have what are called automatic thoughts. You don't mean to think it. You just think it. You get in environments, and you don't mean to trigger the response. It just triggers. Do you know that when you're triggered and you feel stress or anxiety or depression, literally, it alerts your autonomic nervous system. I love studying the autonomic nervous system, which then connects to your sympathetic nervous system. What it's going to do is it's going to release cortisol and it's going to release adrenaline, right? Cortisol, it's literally going to change the blood sugar levels in your blood. It's going to help you focus. Adrenaline's going to bow you up to where you have energy and you're ready to go. It puts you in a minor, or depending on the moment, major moment of fight or flight. It's a mechanism to help you stay alive. What happens though is when you're constantly habituated by stress, all of a sudden these cortisol levels, they just stay there. And what does that do? Adrenaline and cortisol to your body over time, it wears you down. Part of the reason people literally can't get out of bed in the morning, it is emotional, it is spiritual, it is mental, but it's literally they flooded their mind with cortisol and their body's depleted and exhausted. So what do you do? It sounds so trivial to people who really, like, they get, like, not just crippling anxiety, but, like, debilitating. It sounds trivial. But what do people talk about? Like, Mental Health Awareness Month, there was this big push on one day where it talked about don't just boost negative mental hormones, right, cortisol, adrenaline, boost positive hormones. When you think about what is lovely, pure, holy, you're working your way to what? Rejoice. There's a brain chemical, right? Many of you have heard of this, right? You've likely had folks address this. Dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. You could go and expand that, endorphins. Where bodies literally, dopamine, it's a chemical that's released when you feel happy or you have a sense of capability. Serotonin, it's a chemical that's released when you feel significant or important. Oxytocin, it's a chemical that's released when you feel love intimacy, endorphins. That happens like when you go exercise, when you eat dark chocolate, when you laugh. Anybody see Patch Adams? Yeah, man. 
He connected that. Right? These are positive mental hormones where literally your Bible, in a way, before anyone was ever talking about this, is it's calling you and me to rejoice. It's literally saying, yes, there's a negative, but flood your mind with positive. If serotonin says there's significance, if there's a sense of importance, Christians should have the total advantage in fighting for this. Do you know how significant and important you are? Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, he died for you. Like he literally, he knows your name. Like the Bible says, he knit you together in in your mother's womb. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And when you talk to him, he hears you. When you talk to him, he wants to help you. Like, Like dopamine coming from a sense of happiness, a sense of being able to. Like, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven of your sins. Like, your worst day, when God looks at you, because he sees through Christ, he delights. You thought about that. Oxytocin, love, intimacy. The reality that God, he's not some far off. We're not deists here. God is not far off. He's come near. It's a personal relationship the number one person in your life that will never leave you nor forsake you and will actually keep the promise is God. Every other relationship is a reflection, a shadow, a glimmer of that type of love. But because we're broken, we're human, we will let each other down. Your spouse, your kids, your family, your pastor, your small group, your teacher, whatever. He won't. That is intimacy. When, when we get ready for bed at my house, right? My wife, she takes a little bit longer, noticeably longer. I try to do as fast as I can. Part of that is because I just take a shower. And when I say shower, right, I I, I really do value hygiene and being clean, but I also have this internal goal of how fast can I get in and get out, right? I got to be clean, but how fast can I get in and get out? There's like a shower and I'm like a soap-focused rinse, right? It's kind of in and out. That's kind of the way I do it. It just kind of washes over me to a degree. My wife, like she doesn't even take baths. She bathes. Y'all get what I'm talking about? You know how when someone's been in, uh, especially warm, but water for so long, like their skin like starts to get kind of pruny? You know what I'm talking about? Like fingers are pruny. You see all that? If you go swimming and all that, that's like Taylor's goal. My wife, every single time. Here's the thing is we're talking about how anxiety is the fight for joy. I really do believe so many of us, men, we pray and we ask God, and then we think and we try to think about what is true, and then it just sort of stops. So many of us, we view mental holiness the way I view a shower. Hey, I just need to shower real quick, in and out. God, okay, I pray. God, you're good. Okay, all right, gotta go. We should never shower when it comes to mental holiness. We must soak. We must bathe in the goodness, in the kindness, in the love of God. Like, guys, showering is not enough. Like, you have to soak in the reality. He really does love you. His Holy Spirit is in you to where you really can bring about change. You do not have to go through life alone. He has given you the provision of him and his people. I thought about this this week. 
One of the promises that Jesus says would come, we don't have time, it's John 14. He says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And as I felt nervous, worried, concerned, anxious, I stopped and I just reflected on the thought of he's promised me peace, my peace I leave with you. But in order to get that peace, he had to die. Like my peace I leave with you, it's Jesus speaking to, if you're a Christian, your inheritance in this life. He's saying literally to secure the peace in your soul, I have to die. I have to come back. And because I go through all that, please know I've given you peace. I've bought you. I want you to be marked by real joy, not nervous tics, not chronic anxiety. Joy. Now remember, can there be moments where you rewire your brain to where you need physical assistance? Yes, I'm not, I'm not invalidating that. But guys, when I'm telling you, if the majority of your heart doesn't run towards emotional, mental, spiritual, I'm going to fix my soul on Jesus Christ, we are missing this passage. Final thing. Practice. Read with me verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. I love this. The third one I want to talk about is, is we talk about how anxiety is a thief of joy, and then we look at, hey, what are we fighting against anxiety? And we're given three tools. We pray, we think, and then we practice. I almost wanted to call this one, repeat this until you die. Repeat this until you die. What, what I love, though, is how Paul sets it up. You've got to remember the context. What you've learned, heard, received, and seen in me. Do you know that the fight for joy is a discipleship issue? You know that the fight for joy, like your, your mental holiness, is literally a same matter of fighting for holiness the way you might fight for memorizing scripture, knowing different sections of your Bible, fighting against lust, disciplining yourself to be a generous person. It, I, I didn't know this till recently. Like, I, I, I kind of grew up in the term that was used around, it's one of my parents, but like helicopter parents, right? Where we come and, and we hover and we look down and, and we don't necessarily interact in every time, but we like just hover and then look down and make sure everything's right and move along watching our kiddo. Someone told me, no, the term now is called not helicopter parents, but snowplow parents, right? Now, I know we're in South Texas, so if we're in, like, North Ontario, that would have totally made sense, right? But snowplow parents are different than helicopter parents because helicopter, they oversee, they look down. Snowplow, they go through life literally moving out of the way of young ones, every obstacle, every difficulty, everything they can face. Do you all know that not just parents right? Your, your small group, the followers of Christ in your workplace, we are meant to disciple each other. And how do we respond to the negativity? How do we respond to the difficulty? How do we respond to moments when we sincerely come and say, I cannot sing in any sense of joy towards Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to, but man, I'm just mad and I won't. You know, we're meant to be discipled in the truth that when we can't sing, what should happen? Others should come around us and sing for us. They sing over us. When we can't hold our arms up to praise, they hold the arms up. You do not fake it until you make it. You absolutely fight for it, though. We repeat this until we die. 
Here's what's amazing thinking about prayer, thinking about thought, and thinking about repeat. You know the number one clinical care for anxiety, especially, but depression as well, clinical form of care, it's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Many people here, I imagine, statistically have been through this. Cognitive behavioral therapy is where modern-day clinicians have literally caught up to what Scripture has always taught, where you come and you identify negative thought patterns. They're called distortions, where you identify, hey, what triggers this? And then you come and you find these distortions, and you literally fight to replace what we make is more than what it should be. We negatively interpret. We make it worse. And I say, how do you fight to replace that with reality? That's called cognitive behavioral therapy. What's amazing is so many times now people talk about mindfulness. They talk about meditation, reflection, journaling. What are all of those different systems of having someone help disciple you to pray, to first identify the thought that's intrusive, to capture the thought, to replace it with what is true you think. And then what do they have you do? Repeat until you die. Church, we are meant to be leaders in this. I want to be a leader in this. Does that mean you negate the fact there sometimes people are crippled and need real help? No, that's my third disclaimer. You can email me, don't. We are, we are people who have been set free that are meant to fight for joy. They're meant to fight against anxiety. Why? It is the thief of joy. Because here's what waits. I love this. Even thinking back through the passage. God promises you peace when you do this. Peace comes through two things. It's fascinating. Even as I study this week, at the start of this passage and at the end, God promises peace. The start is when he says pray. He says pray, pray. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the first promise of peace. The second promise of peace comes when what we practice, 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 and practice. And what does it say? And the God of peace will himself be with you. What I'm pleading with you as you pursue health in every way, what I'm pleading with you as you pursue mental health, what I'm pleading with you as you fight as a follower of Jesus Christ against anxiety, I'm pleading with you to have a long-term perspective. We are a microwave culture. One of the main reasons why psychiatrists say America is undergoing a national epidemic of mental health, there's three major, I wish I had more time to share. The third one, they say, is we have new coping mechanisms. So you could think everything from materialism to we jump online for social media. There's more access to cheap food, so we eat our feelings. We drink, we do drugs, whatever. Those are true. But they say those are actually symptomatic of another problem. The problem, and these are, these are secular psychiatrists. These aren't, these aren't pastors. They say America has changed its tolerance for pain. That pain now we view as, okay, if I feel pain or discomfort, something must be broken internally, and I have to make immediate changes to rectify or to correct it, which, which that can be true at times. But they say, no, with pain, we've overdone that. What have we diminished previously? And they, they point back to the 50s. They say in the 50s, they, they talk about how pain, discomfort, and suffering, people viewed as a normative part 
of the human experience. So when you felt it, did you try to minimize it? Of course. But did they think, I have to do all I can to avoid it, and if I feel this, that means there's something wrong with me? No. The reason I share that is, even in the midst of sadness, practice. Even in the midst of your best day, practice. Even in the midst of discomfort, practice. Even in the midst of where you've gone, you've met with a psychiatrist and you're getting the medication, practice. Even in the midst of when you don't want to go and invite your community group into the amount of dosage that you're on, how long you've been on it, or how you wean down, or how long you stay on it, practice. Even in the moment where you're starting to really think through anxiety for the first way and you don't quite know what to do, practice. And you got to remember, what comes with practicing? There are people who have walked this path before you. There are people that will help you, what you have learned, what you've heard, what you've received, what you've seen in me. Come, let us help you. Let the people of God help you because one of the crippling things of anxiety or depression is that you're in this alone. You are not alone. God in heaven loves you. He's died for you and he wants to help you because he wants you to be marked by joy. He wants you to be marked by peace, like, like happiness, like, like, like laughter. Because do you know there's two things that are contagious? Negativity, positivity. Right, and that's not self-help, guys. That's how God designed you and wired you. We are meant to be contagiously joyful. Do we have bad days? Yes. I'm not negating our bad days. But in the midst of the bad days, are we called to fight for joy because of Jesus Christ? Yes. Because what really matters is what we do with these thoughts. Let me pray. We'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that, God, it comes in the relevant areas of our life, the sensitive parts that many of us, we we don't want to talk about. We don't want to acknowledge. And because of that, God, we as a nation are reaping what we have sown. A group of people who haven't felt they could come and talk, people with anxiety and issues, not being discipled, as we have turned our back on you, we are reaping a people who fight to cope the best way they know how when your word gives clarity. Lord, we never want to marginalize real pain, but we never want to marginalize what your word says. Make us people who fight for joy, Make us people who fight against anxiety. I thank you that knowing that the way that we can do this is by first knowing you. So Father, if there are people here who don't know you, would you help them to see that you love them? It's not because of what they do. They don't have to work their way to you. There need be no form of anxiety. All they must do is believe. Would you bless this time? We thank you. Amen. Guys, I love getting the privilege of gathering, but man, while y'all go, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week. Have a great week of worship.